It's great to see all of you today and to welcome you and all of you that are here, whether you're in Brown Chapel or online with us. I've got a couple of thank yous that I need to give or, or I, I get to give. I shouldn't say I need to, but I'm privileged to. Number one, um, my family and I want to say thank you so much for um, the way you honor us every year with Pastor's Day. And we wanted to say thank you for your gifts and your cards and your kind encouragement. Last week, we want to say thank you so much. Um, I know there's a little note of thank you in the bulletin, but not everybody has the bulletin uh, unless they're here. So I wanted to be sure you understand that we are so thankful and so uh, appreciative of your kindness. I also uh, need to say thank you to some friends that are watching from my hometown. I did not realize, October 11th has always been a special date for me because it's the first, uh, October 11th, 1970 was the first time I got to preach on a Sunday. And I just realized yes, yesterday that that's 50 years ago. So um, I, I sent a text to some of my friends back home, and one of them was just so kind and encouraging. He said, 50 years, wow. He said, I watch you every week. You'd have thought you'd get better by now. But uh, uh, he did have a smiley face at the end. I hope so. But um, I want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for allowing me to preach every week. And I want to say, uh, though my pastor is long gone, and most of the people uh, who heard me preach um, may be long gone. There's a lot of, lot of friends that remember it. And um, my, my, my uh, message, it was called The Making of a Man of God. I was uh, 15 years old, and I did not know that God was speaking to me some things prophetically. I thought it was for the church, but um, I think it was for me. And uh, that was a very special day. So thank you, Eastside, for giving me a chance to preach and not walking out on me. Of course, you did encourage me to go off to college to uh, <laughs> maybe learn a little bit more. Let's begin our message today with the Lord's Prayer. The message is how to pray when the pain won't stop. How to pray when the pain won't stop. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever Amen. Amen. I want to tell you that I believe uh, with all of my heart that God is bringing us to a season of breakthrough. I believe he wants to begin to do some things on a personal level for us today and for us as a church. I don't need to re-preach everything I preached the last few months but um, I wanted to remind you that we said there were five encounters that we believe the church was bringing, uh, that the Lord was bringing every church and every believer to, to confront in the very near future. And I won't even review those five things today. We did a few months ago. But I am seeing God bring those five points of encounter, bringing churches and denominations, pastors, to the point where, they, where God is saying, what will you do with these five principles? We are in a day of encounter and we are also in a day of breakthrough. I, I don't know that I need to make an official call. We've been doing it for months. Um, Justin led us in a, uh, nearly a month of special prayer and he leads us in special prayer every week. But I want to say to the Christian Life family, I'm calling you to prayer. I'm calling you to prayer in this momentous occasion for our nation, for our society, for our culture, for our churches. Um, you say, what are we praying for? Well, I think you know that pretty well. We're praying um, for some very specific things that we've mentioned. Justin brought it up um, for, for four and a half years now. It's closing in on five years before long. 
We've been praying every week. I've been praying almost every day. I don't remember missing any days, but um, we've been praying that God will expose lies and liars in American culture, uh, in the church, wherever lies and liars are. Um, uh, you know, people got mad at me when I started that. Why are you praying for lies and liars to be exposed? And I said, why are you so mad? I said, are you afraid that your group is lies and liars? And I said, this, this ought to be scary ground for all of us. But we pray not only for lies and liars to be exposed, we pray for truth to rise up. And we pray, and we've been praying this. You know, you say, oh, you're just doing it because of the pandemic. Guys, we've been doing this four and a half years. And we've asked God to wake up the church. And we've asked God to help America to know what to do. And we need the will of God to be done and next Sunday, I want to talk to you about a message that's been cooking for a while. I wanted to feel like I was hearing the Lord. I want to talk to you next week about understanding 2020. I want us to understand what has happened to us. I want us to understand what we're in. And I want us to understand what we need to do. Um, when I went on my uh, June prayer retreat, I think it was, um, the Lord laid on my heart. He usually gives me uh, what I ought to pray for. Um, or no, it was, I'm sorry, it was a little bit later than that. It was, the, it was the August prayer retreat. And he usually gives me what I ought to pray for. But he told me to do something. He told me to take my journals from the last, um, I think it was eight months. He said, I want you to go through your journals and write down every prophetic word I've given you. And, um, you know, sometimes things, you, it's big at the time and you just forget it. And I did that. And you know what I found out? I found out that between Thanksgiving and the middle of January, the Lord gave me eight prophetic words that made this pandemic, it, it made perfect sense, but I didn't have the in, 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 spiritual intelligence, or I didn't have the sensitivity to understand that these things were about to happen. I'll be honest with you. The Lord had spoken to me 2018, 2019 were rough years. And it just seemed like we kept getting attacks from one side and another. And the Lord spoke to me in December and said, these individualized attacks are going to end um, with 2019. It won't be individualized attacks in 2020. And I've got to confess to you, I celebrated these days are over. And when I read the other, see, I took those other eight days of prophecy and I put them forward to what I thought was the long emergency. I said, this is, this is where we're headed. But if I had taken time to really seek the Lord, I think what I would have understood is that he said, uh, it's not going to be these individualized attacks. It's like, but everything's coming under attack. Everything is going to be shaken. That's what he said, but I was too dense to put it together. And so it really drove me to my knees to say, Lord, help me understand what is happening to us. Um, are, are we under judgment? Is this just a cycle of history? And if we're under judgment, who is doing this? Is it the devil? Is it you? And... Um, uh, I, I believe the Lord has given me some insight and I believe the Lord has given me some, some clarification. I think we had a real breakthrough with the return a couple of Saturdays ago. And um, I feel that we need to, to stay at the table of prayer and we need to pray. I think from now to the end of the year is very critical. I'm not calling you to prayer for an election. I'm not calling you to prayer for a Supreme Court nomination. Those are all part of the landscape. But I'm saying what we've got to pray through is bigger than an issue. And it's bigger than an election. And we've got to be sure that we don't think we've won a war because we win a battle. And I want to really talk to you from my heart next week about understanding 2020. I want to recommend a book to you uh, by R.T. Kendall. It just came out, uh, I think it was this past week. And um, R.T. doesn't say a lot of new things to us because we've been talking about these things for years. But the name of the book is We've Never Been This Way Before. And I read through 
80, 85% of the book. And I said, yeah, but the, he's saying it differently. He's saying it probably better than I am. But this is what we've been saying for years. But when he came to the part of the book where he says, this is what we've got to do. R.T. said some things that quite frankly, I'm not sure the church will let me say. And I want to recommend the book to you. Um, and I, I, I think it would be, now don't just go to the end because if you don't read the beginning, you'll take the end out of context. But um, I think it's one of the clearest books on what has happened, where we are. And, uh, and, and you've, heard, you've heard 80, 80 90% of it before. But how do we tie it together? What do we do? And um, I want to recommend that book to you. Uh, probably, um, I, I tried to do the math 15 or 16 years ago, long before I talked to the church about the long emergency. Um, we were long before, or before we were even over here in this building. God gave me a, a vision one night, and it was it was in a ama- it was a disturbing thing. And he said, um, the time is coming when the church will appear on the brink of splitting. And uh, I, I, in the dream, this is, this is what he said, or this is what he showed me. He said, it'll be a time of severe societal disruption. Not, not the church, not, not the church disruption, but society will be disrupted and it'll seem overwhelming. He said, and just when you think that that's the danger, he said, you're going to find that there is a a momentous battle over the truth of Scripture and basic orthodox doctrine. And And the toughest battle that the church will fight to date of anything she's ever faced will be the day when society seems to be crumbling and at the same time there's a disregard and a rejection in society for the word of God not in society we expect society that doesn't believe in God to reject the word of God but he said from the church itself there will be a marginalization of scripture and I remember in the dream I said I can handle both of these this is not right and I got that preaching finger out, and it was as though the angel of the Lord put his hand on my arm and said, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. The church must mature to the point to be able to walk through both of these battles and fight them at the same time. And I want to tell you, I've thought about that a long time. It's been 15 or 16 years. Um, there was a mixing But at the end of the dream, the Lord said, if you will calm yourself and let me lead you, and and if the church will follow, I will give new anointing and fresh fruit. And the greatest days of the church will be just ahead. So I think that's what we're experiencing. I think um, there's still so much that's frustrating. And uh, I've received a word from the Lord a while back. God said, that the preaching that pastors do over the next six months or so, um, I think the exact wording of six to eight months, uh, the, the preaching that pastors do over the next six to eight months, when they look back over their, li- their life, they'll see this six to eight month period was the most important preaching they did in their lives. Mike Bickle ended up saying the same thing. Uh, and uh, uh, I mean, these, these are guys with international voices, not me. I've got a few rows of, you know, voice, but, um, uh, and those of you that listen online and, and then another, uh, nationally known person basically said the same thing. And I, I want to tell you loved ones, what we have been going through since March and what we will probably continue to go through for the next several months is making a determination of who we will be and what weapons we will fight our spiritual warfare with. This is not just something that everybody's all fired up and it'll be back to normal in two or three months. I don't know that we'll ever be back to normal. I don't know if we'll ever be back the way we want it to be. The question is, are we able to shift from one age to another? And that's what I think God is wanting to help us. So, so we're, we're on two fronts. We've been preaching some basic doctrine because we have 
a lot of new family members online. Some are coming. Um, and we've got some brand new Christians. Some are just, they've been Christians, but they're just getting reconnected to church. And um, God is doing a couple of things. He's giving us a, a, a reteaching of our foundation of basic doctrine. Are you guys with me here? You understand what I'm saying? But he is also preparing us for days ahead that may prove to be difficult and adversarial. And I think what he's doing is he's taking not only basic foundational truth that everybody that loves the Lord would probably say, yeah, that's right, amen. But he's also giving us some things today like we have to deal with that are very tough. They're very controversial. Next week will be controversial to some people. But I want to talk to you about when to pray when the pain won't stop. Um, we, the Lord showed me in that vision 15, 16 years ago that in a demand to say for, for some Christians to have their way with doctrine, they will say, this is right and you're wrong. This is the word and this is not. And God is about to humble us. I mean, can you hear me okay? I'd like, there are days I think this rain is a sign of the Lord's grace. There are days I think it's the devil's intervention. I don't know what it is, but I just want to be sure you hear me. Um, we, we are needing to go forth in humility. You know, in Lord of the Rings, I don't want to ruin the story for you because it's a great part of true history to read. But in, in Lord of the Rings, um, Frodo takes a stab that ought to kill him. There's no reason it ought not kill him. But you find out he's wearing a, a vest of, of mithril silver, which can withstand anything. And uh, I, I don't think there's any mithril silver in Scripture, but I tell you what I do believe. I do believe that humility is the mantle that we wear, is the vest that we wear. And I think humility, like mithril silver, will keep our hearts pure. It'll keep us humble. Um, you say, well, pastor, I just don't know what's going on. Well, we're going to talk about that next week. But I think it's great when God uh, called Moses from the burning bush. Moses went over to the burning bush and he said, what? You know, he was trying to figure out what was happening. And God said, he didn't explain to him the physics of the miracle. He said, what you need to do, Moses, with all of your questions is take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. It's sort of like when Joshua was ready to go start the campaign to conquer the land, Joshua, who was a mighty warrior, saw, saw an immense warrior standing by and he said, are you for us or for our enemies? And the angel of the Lord said, I'm not either. I have come to take over this battle. And what did he tell Joshua to do? Take off your shoes because the place on which you stand is holy ground. I want all of Christian life to hear this today because some of us are steeped in anger. Some of us are steeped in fear. Some of us are just steeped in question marks. This is not a time for us to lay down spiritual weapons and take up fleshly weapons. You say, well, I just need to know what's going on. No, we don't. We need to take off our shoes in humility before the Lord and walk forward on our knees and lay our agendas down. It's time for water. Now, that also means that those of you that would say, well, but you know, Pastor, I, 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 I'm having some doctrinal issues. You need to understand that God is going to take us deeper into his truth. I'm not talking about extra biblical truth. I'm not talking about changing the clear word of God. But God is about to open our eyes to some spiritual dynamics that will help us live the way we ought to live. You know, right now, the American church is a culture where anytime you get mad with something that's taught, then all of a sudden you're not being fed and you just go to another church. Now, there's a time to change churches. There's a time to say, well, I don't belong here. I believe God is leading me here. But we need to, to drop the quest for perfect pastors 
and perfect churches and perfect expressions of the Word of God and grace of God. And we need, we better buckle down and find out where we belong in the days ahead. I need, I need, is there a doctor in the house? I need a tranquilizer to, to help me calm down this morning. But um, we, you know, I've, I've, I've been walking for the last six or eight months like we're navigating a minefield, and, and we have been, but I'm coming to the conclusion that uh, we've got to keep moving. You know, whenever we talked about this Wednesday night with Moses, whenever we are in a place where we feel like we're between the devil and the deep red sea, uh, our tendency is to just stop. And what did God tell Moses? Keep the people moving. Keep going from Sears to Dillard's. Keep walking out what I've given you because if the enemy can use anything to make you stop, he'll delight in doing that. I'm through. Not with my message, but with my prelude. Let me tell you what we want to talk about today. <coughs> I want to talk about some of the reasons we have pain. I want to talk about how we should pray when we're in pain. And I want to talk about how do we embrace what we don't want to embrace. Um, how do I pray when the pain won't stop? Let's read Paul's account. 2 Corinthians 12, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. Um, I know a man who in Christ 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And you're going to find out Paul's talking about himself because he goes from I know a man to, uh, and this is what the Lord told me. This is what I learned. And uh, he said it was such a mystical experience. He said, I don't know if I was in the body or out of the body. I don't know if I was awake or asleep. Um, he says, I know this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Now, Paul was saying this. He said, I'm about to tell you an incredible story, and it's going to sound like boasting, but I'm trying to separate my honor from God's honor just as far as I can to let you know this is not about me. This just happened to me, okay? Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Paul said, look, I'm not trying to defend myself by exalting myself. He said, I'm trying to lay out truth and give you an understanding. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, you might be tempted to say, oh, only three times? I prayed about my problem six times. Well, three times was a Hebraic way of saying without end. You know, um, if a mother was exasperated, she'd say, three times I've told you not to do that. That in our vernacular is, I've worn myself out telling you not to do that. And when he says, I prayed three times, he says, this has been on my list for a long, long time. He says, um, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I've got to move quickly. Consider this. This message carries a significant depth with it. Now, you say, oh, pastor says he's preaching a deep sermon today. No, um, I, I'm not sure that people that brag on preaching deep sermons are really understanding the value and, and the liability of a deep sermon. I don't say that to be manipulative, but I want you to understand this. We are going to start walking in some deeper water as we move into the days ahead. 
Some will reject the message, and I'm not casting judgment. I'm, I'm not saying everybody that rejects, go over here, and we'll see if the ground opens up and swallows you. No, but some will reject it because it will be offensive to them. Some will put it on a top shelf for later because they're not hurting right now. It's easy to take a sermon about hurting if you're not hurting. I mean, that's, that's just the truth. Some will set it aside because it asks difficult questions that are not easily answered. Some will readily embrace it. Some will say, Pastor, that's right where I am. <coughs> Some will say, there are things I don't understand, but Pastor, I'm going to begin a journey. I'm going to begin a journey, and I'm going to let this thing grow in my life. It has been argued, and I am Pentecostal. I'm, I, I, I don't know if I could say like Paul, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all, but I bet I could be in the top 10 anyway. I'm thoroughly Pentecostal, but I think the greatest weakness of Pentecostal theology is that we have no clear theology of suffering. Suffering is such a part of Scripture, Old and New Testament. Paul talked about the fellowship of his suffering. Jesus talked about suffering. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. You can't get away from suffering. The New Testament tells us that we ought to endure suffering. But Pentecostals, in many cases, have tried to get a theology that eliminates suffering. <coughs> and I think that's a dangerous place to be. I don't want you to misunderstand. There is, we're not here to glorify suffering. There's no virtue in suffering merely for the sake of suffering. Don't buy into a doctrine that just says somehow I'm better just because I'm suffering. Because I've known people that were victims and lived and thrived in their, in their victims mentality and they said this is making me spiritual and all it does is make you unpleasant to be around. It doesn't enhance your spirituality. I'm not endorsing suffering for the sake of suffering, but there is a right kind of suffering that's going to be the part of a child of God. Now, we know, we know that God is able to heal. You know, we fuss at cessationists, and we don't believe cessationists are right in their, in their theological posture. But I've never met a cessationist that says God's not able to heal. They all believe God is able to heal. The difference is that we agree that God is able to heal, but we know that God does heal. It's not just something he's able to do, it's something that he does do. And I wanna tell you this, loved ones, we need to be pursuing healing aggressively. I don't think we see the healing that we ought to see, but I want to tell you this, I think we need to slow down when we start saying that everybody ought to be healed because it's in the atonement. Because quite frankly, it hasn't worked for 2,000 years. There's never been a time, now I'm talking about beginning at the book of Acts. Now Jesus always healed. He never turned away anybody that came to him. But you've got to understand, and we don't have time to talk about it today, Jesus had a role and had signs to perform as Messiah and as the establishing of the kingdom. But in the very book of Acts, there were some that were healed and there were some that were not. You know that from the reading of Paul's epistles. Some of his fellow workers were sick nearly to death. And I, I know you're uncomfortable with this. I told you some of you would, would be uncomfortable. That's why we closed the cafe so you couldn't go out right now and buy coffee. I'm teasing. You say, well, is healing part of the atonement or not? It definitely is. But remember what we have taught for years. In the spirit, the atonement takes effect immediately. The spirit, we are immediately changed from death to life. We are immediately born again. In the soul, our mind, will, and emotions, the atonement takes effect, but we grow in it. We are sanctified and we change from day to day. The body is the work of the atonement that's reserved for the future. You may not admit it. You may pay for expensive surgery. You may buy everything L'Oreal has on the shelf, but we're all getting older and one day we will die. Um, 
But we also know that the ultimate redemption of our body will be through death and resurrection. But we also know that God from time to time heals the sick. But I think we put people under such a horrendous obligation to be healed when it doesn't happen. Well, you, it's your confession is wrong or your faith is weak or your attitude is wrong. Elevens, we need to understand that Elisha was the prophet of the double portion. I mean, he had twice as many miracles as, Eli as Elijah, but there's an interesting little verse in there and it says this just very simply, when the disease that eventually killed Elisha touched his life, this is what he did. Uh, even the great prophet Elisha died from illness. You go to Hezekiah, who was told that he was to set his house in order and uh, he was going to die. That's from the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, it was incurable. There was no hope for it. And Isaiah is no sooner out of the courtyard. I mean, he doesn't even make it out of the courtyard. Hezekiah starts pouring out his heart to God. He says, God, I've tried to serve you. I've tried to live for you. Please have mercy on me. And God was touched by the prayers of Hezekiah. And, and Isaiah went back and said, the Lord has given you 15 more years. And this is what he said. The Lord's going to heal you. Now bring this poultice of medicine and put it on his wound. See, we've been telling people you can't go to the doctor because that shows a lack of faith. And nothing is further from the truth. In that day, we will all be healed. But praise God, with great regularity and with great miracle power, all along the way, He heals us. But I don't believe we have the right to say everybody ought to be healed every time because of the atonement. The, the gift of healing. You say, well, it's a gift of the Spirit. My point exactly. Healing is a gift of the Spirit, and the Spirit administers the gift of healing, not us. Now, that I thoroughly got you mad, <laughs> Justin will meet with folks after service to discuss this. <clears throat> Loved ones, I believe in healing. I am alive today because of healing. There have been times the Lord said, no, take this pill. There have been times the Lord said, no, get a pacer installed. But there are times that God moved in ways beyond the, my wildest dreams and miraculous things occurred. It wasn't that they hit the medicine just right or I got the right doctor. Praise God for all of that. But there are times when there was no answer to what was going on in my body, but God healed what was going on in my body. Okay? Now, you say, well, praise God. That's what we ought to talk about. We ought to talk about that, and we ought to be willing to talk like Paul talked to us in this passage in Corinthians. You say, well, well, pastor is just, you know, Woo! he was, he had this revelation. That's what we ought to focus on. Read the verses leading up to his story about the revelation. Chapter 11, five times I received from the Jews, the 40 lashes minus one. Now it's interesting that this was 40 lashes administered by religious people. You, men frequently died from the 39 lashes. It was often a death sentence, but they wanted to be right in the eyes of God. So they didn't want to miscount. So they'd just do 39 just in case they missed one. It's amazing how religious we want to be while we're stripping the life away from people. He said, I was given basically a death sentence five times, but I survived. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger of rivers, in danger from, in, uh, from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country. This wouldn't get him to a Pentecostal faith conference. In danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. 
I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches. He said, which one of you feels weak and I don't feel it with you? Who is tempted and I do not inwardly share your struggle? If I must boast, I must boast in things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aratas had the city of, of uh, the citizens of Damascus guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Paul said, you want to talk about glory? Oh, I've experienced glory, but let me tell you what shaped my life for that glory. He spoke of the signs of apostleship and we have loads of people that claim to be apostles. But Paul said the sign of an apostle, one of them, is suffering. He said, I've known the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul spoke of burdens, of problems, of sufferings and hurtings. In fact, he writes to the Galatians when they say everybody's got to go back and fulfill the Jewish law in order to be a Christian. He was outraged about that. I mean, he got a little, little offensive at times. He said, and those of you insisting that men need to be circumcised to come to Jesus, I wish you would just go all the way and castrate yourself. That's not good pastoral counsel. <laughs> and this is what he said at the end of the letter. He said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let no one speak another word to me. Now you say, whoo, he was mad. I don't know if there's anything, if there's such a thing as righteous indignation. I think that's what Paul was going through. In other words, he said, I have suffered. I don't need your input, he said. And that's, I'm, that's not what I'm saying to you. I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture of Paul for you. These problems were public knowledge, but there was a secret hurting that he was not allowed to share with anyone else. How would you and I feel if our greatest hurt, God said, now you can't tell anyone about this. You know, that's how you tell a mature Christian from an immature Christian, is what do they do with their hurts? You know, a, a mature man will do something stupid and he's ashamed of his bandage. It might be on his arm, and he never wears a long sleeve shirt. But he wears long sleeve shirt till that wound heals up. You say, "Well, he, doesn't he have long sleeve shirts?" Well, then he then he pulls his sleeve down, walks around like this, you know. <laughs> when I have to have a bandage, I'm embarrassed because I ought to know better as an adult. But when a little one gets a wound, they want multiple bandages. They want Fred Flintstone bandages. They want, um, um, you know, Wonder Woman bandages. And they want a bandage not only on the wound, they want it all around the wound. And, and if a bandage is good on this arm, they're good on this arm. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. They're just a child. But Paul says, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I reasoned as a child, I acted as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And we find ourselves sometimes having a pain that God does not allow us to share. And it's described as a thorn in the flesh. And he's carried it for 14 years. Now, loved ones, please hear me. The last time I preached on thorn of the flesh, somebody brought me a, a, a sermon by one of the faith teachers and it said in the Old Testament that uh, um, if, if you don't deal with the inhabitants of the land, they'll be like smoke in your eyes and thorn in your flesh. And they said, because of this, it's obvious what Paul was saying is I didn't do something right and I was being punished for my sin. Because he says what it means in one place in the Bible, it means in another place. Uh, Lebanon, that's not true at all. That's, that's not remotely true. Uh, in fact, I was brought up on that system to interpret this verse interpret this verse, that what, what a sign or symbol means in this, it'll mean in this. That's not true. Uh, it's not true at all. Leaven, for instance, is a clear sign of unrighteousness. 
But leaven is also used as an example of the way the church grows. It begins small and it spreads throughout all the world. Same thing with a lion. You know, you've got the lion. The devil is a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. So therefore, every time I see lion, it's a bad thing. Well, what about the lion of the tribe of Judah? No, 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 no. It's not. That's not the way you interpret a verse. You interpret a verse by its context. And, and this was not, it was a messenger from Satan. God allowed uh, Paul to be tormented, but it wasn't, in my opinion, because of his sin. I want you to see this distinction. The problem may not have been secret. In other words, they may have very well known what his problems were, but the background and inner workings of it were secret. We don't know what his thorn in the flesh were. I know what I think it is, but that and $4 will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks, so I won't go into it. But we know this, when he ministered to the churches of Asia Minor, um, piecing the mystery of his travels together, it, um, uh, it, it, we're almost certain that malaria in the low country drove him up into, into Asia Minor to better climate to get over the malaria. And there, there was some kind of eye problem because when he spoke to those churches, he said, I know that you would have been willing, if it were possible, to pluck out your eyes and give them to me. And there are other reasons. I, well, I can't tell you this. I think, I think Paul's sworn in the flesh may have been an eye problem that was very debilitating. But whatever it was, whatever it was, it was unknown, it was unspecified, and are you ready for this? It was unresolved. I don't like when I pray for something to be unresolved. I expect it to be resolved. And I've been trying to help the Lord with this, to understand this. Paul had been greatly, understand this, Paul had been greatly humbled in chapter 11. He was very, very low, but God lifted him very high in chapter 12. And Paul makes it very clear, and I'm going to just run through the rest of the outline, so stay with me. Paul faced the danger, or the danger Paul faced, I should say, was the potential for spiritual pride. That takes great maturity to say God is taking me into the very presence of his throne and God is speaking these things to me and I know I am in danger of spiritual pride. And God balanced his life to prevent that from happening. Loved ones, this is not Pentecostal preaching in the eyes of some, but often we see an intentional burden that balances intense blessing. We say, well, that's not good, that's not fair, that's not just. I came to a conclusion a few years ago that probably I submit to you we all should at least think about. I came to the conclusion that I am not qualified to decide what's good. I am not qualified to decide what's fair. And I am not qualified to decide what's just. Now I ought to do good, I ought to be fair, I ought to fight for justice, I ought to do that, but I need to understand that that's within the framework of my understanding. We know human trafficking is wrong. So we call that bad because it is bad. We know that racial injustice is wrong. So we call that bad because it is bad. We, we, know, we know those obvious things, but what do we do when we face issues and struggles in life and we say things cavalierly like God wouldn't do that or God would not allow that or that doesn't, you know, we need to be careful. We really need to be careful. And, and the word used for thorn here does not suggest an irritating but insignificant object under the skin. You've had a thorn. And it's just, a, it's just a thorn, and you're okay till you bump it, and then you know, but you know as soon as you get to a, a, a sharp knife or a needle and a, and a big light, you're going to get rid of that thing. Now, there are some thorns that are, that are of such magnitude that they can cause infection and can cause you to lo lose a limb if you don't deal with them, but it's not even talking about that kind of thorn. It's the word that's often used for a stake something that would impale. 
And what Paul was trying to do is say, this thorn in the flesh is something that was severe and it's lasting a long time. This has been part of my life for 14 years. Now what's so distasteful and disconcerting to us is that Paul looked at this stake that he had begged God continually to remove and he said, I've come to understand that it is a blessing of God. Boy, that's hard to process. It's, it's so hard to process. I've, seen, I've never seen um, uh, word of faith people work as hard on any verse as this one to make it nothing. The Bible doesn't tell us what the problem was, so speculation abounds. I think this reflects the wisdom of God so that every one of us can apply the principles of this lesson to whatever our thorn might be. Okay, what are, now, now here's where I'm going to accelerate. Please buckle up or you'll get thrown as we round a curve. <laughs> what are some of the reasons we may be hurting? This is on your outlines. It's Roman numeral one. First of all, we may hurt because of the consequences of a sinful past. Uh, when God forgives us, God always removes the guilt of our sin and God removes the eternal penalty of our sin. But he may or may not remove the consequences of our sin. I mean, he may. Thank God he does. I'm so glad that in Joel he said, I will restore what the enemy has devoured. I will give you back the years that were lost. And I know that sometimes God forgives us. And when he does it, he gives us a get out of jail free card. But I also know that some of the most free and happy and forgiven people in America are in prisons right now paying for their crimes. Okay, so sometimes we hurt because of the consequences of a sinful past. We want children, but we're, but we're infertile because of a sexually transmitted disease that we obtain during years of, of rebellion against God. But it's not necessarily so. God does restore. <coughs> and loved ones, I want to say this. God does not let shame or regret dominate your future. But sometimes we hurt because of the sin of our past. And sometimes God gives us grace to walk through that, and sometimes God restores it. I mean, that's another sermon for another time. Letter B, sometimes we may be hurting because God is chastening us. Boy, that's a troubling thought, but it's in Hebrews 12. In our present lives, we need adjustments from time to time. And here's the, the, the thing that frustrates us further. Not only can it happen, but it is guaranteed to happen. And if you're not chastised, the writer of Hebrews 12 says you need to go schedule an appointment with a counselor, Christian counselor, because it could be that you've not ever given your life to God. Because you're not a son, if you're not chastened, you're a bastard. Number three, we may hurt because God is strengthening us. Anybody that's played varsity sports and, and on a much higher level, anybody that's been in the military, you understand that whether it's preseason drills or it's boot camp, you are sent through hell in order to prepare you to be stronger and to make you stronger. Um, number four, sometimes we hurt. Are you ready for this one? Oh, sometimes we're hurt because it keeps us from sinning. I think I got five more amens than I thought I would get. Do you know that God loves you so much? He will let you go through pain because if you didn't have the pain, you'd fall into a trap. I, I, I mean it. I'd rather, I'd rather be struck by lightning right now in this seat and all the shame and questions that would go along with it. I'd rather be struck by lightning right now and die than to fall into sin that would shame you, shame my family, and shame the Lord. This is Paul's situation, and this is perhaps the most difficult reason for us to understand. The idea that God says, if I don't keep this pain in your life, you will go off into sin. That was what Paul said. He said, if it weren't for this thorn, I would be walking in a sin that would disqualify me from any further service. You say, well, pastor, I just believe I'm better than that. We ought to have control over our lives. 
Well, we should, but most of us don't. And if Paul recognized that God would keep him in pain to keep him from sinning, I don't think even on my best days I rank better than Paul. So how do we pray when the pain doesn't go away? Now let me say this. I think it is doubtful that anyone can fix this pain you're having right now. There's some pain that a friend can come along and distract you and you're fine. There's some pain that a doctor can heal and you're fine. There's some pain that your devotional life can resolve. But when you have pain that won't leave after you've prayed and done everything you know to do, I'm not, I don't think I'm saying this well, but it's doubtful that anybody can fix this. We'll probably have people that will line up after service and say, I want you to help me fix this. But loved ones, I want to tell you, I can't fix it for you any more than you can fix me. Pastor Justin can't fix it for you. This is something you have to walk through with God. You have to bring to him your pain and your disappointment that he doesn't do something about it. And you've got to resolve the issue yourself between you and God. But I do know this, I know God is faithful. So how do I pray, Pastor, if the pain won't go away? Here's number one, letter A on your outline. First of all, I want you to know it's all right and appropriate to pray in order to escape suffering. Nothing wrong with saying, Lord, I'm going through this pain and I'd like to get away from it. Nothing wrong with that. This is normal. This is understandable. There are things that we don't want to enter into. Jesus told us to pray that we enter not into temptation. Jesus prayed this way in Gethsemane. He said, Father, if there is any other way your will can be accomplished than the cross, if you've got a backup plan, if there's something that I've missed, Lord, let's go that way. But he concluded it by saying, nevertheless, your will must be done. One of the most powerful prayers we can pray is your will be done. And I want to tell you, I'm going to talk about this next week. I relegated your will be done to weenies. Somebody that didn't want to get in and find the will of God, oh, they just pray your will be done. Somebody that's not interested, well, your will be done. Somebody that knows what the will of God is but don't want to pray that way, well, your will be done. But I want to tell you, in recent months, I have come to learn that the most powerful prayer and the most spiritual position we can be is when we come to the point where we can say really, sincerely, your will be done. See, and, and that's a hard thing for us to pray. See, we're coming up on an election where every child of God, you have who you want to vote for. And that's, that's right. We have that privilege in America and we ought to do it. But at the bottom of every prayer ought to be your will be done. And what we do is we say, well, I know what the will of God is. Really? Really? You really want to take that on yourself to say, I know what the will of God is? Oh, I know who fits my Christian principles better. Or I know who I think may be qualified better. Or I may know this, that, or the other. But are you really, are you really honest in your heart to the point where you can say, Lord, your will be done? Are you at the point where you can say, I will pray for a President Biden? And I will pray for a President Trump? And if you're not there, you haven't begun to walk in intercessory prayer. You haven't begun to walk in the integrity of representing the body of Christ. My word, I better stop or I'll just keep going into next week. <laughs> Escape suffering. Paul said, I prayed about this nonstop. So if you're going through a tough place, just say, Lord, next exit ramp. I'm getting off and getting a Pepsi. If that's your will. That's why we said our natural recourse is to seek God for health and healing. When I get sick, I want God to heal me. I will seek Him for healing. I will pursue Him for healing until He seems to say no or, or go another direction. Sometimes, we've all got to admit this, loved ones, and, and it's very difficult at times, <clears throat> but Romans 8.26 says, that the Spirit will pray through us. And we get all excited about that. But we need to understand the reason He prays through us is because we don't know how to pray. 
as we ought to. Here's the next thing, letter B. It may be appropriate to pray in order to endure suffering. Peter told us to do this. Paul told us there's a time you buckle down and endure suffering. It won't always be like this. I got a call to, to go to the uh, military hospital at Eglin Air Force Base. And there was a young girl. Well, I say young girl. She's probably 20, maybe 21 years old. She was having a baby. And she was from a little backwoods community, just as precious. She, she had married an Air Force guy, and they had already had two or three postings. And she was just ripped apart being away from home. And now she's having their first baby. And her husband wanted to come in. She said, I don't want to see you. I want to see Pastor. And so I got in. I got permission. I went in to see her. And, and you know, I don't usually get anywhere near women that are having a baby or have just had a baby because they've been through such an ordeal. They don't want outside people in, you know, and, and it's got to be a special invitation. Well, I knew something was going on when she didn't want to see her husband. She wanted to see me. And um, my, my first thought was, you know, am I being suspected of something here? I didn't know what was going on, but I went in and she was, she was just squalling. She had already dilated and was, it was almost ready to give birth. And the nurse said, your pastor is here. And she took my hand and she held it up to her face and she just kissed it. And she said, pastor, I need you to pray. And I said, well, I've been praying. I just, I felt so broken for her. I said, I said, I've been praying, but what do you want me to pray specifically? I've been praying for the baby to be well, you be well, safe delivery. She looked at me with all the sincerity in the world. She says, I don't want to have this baby. I said, what? And she wasn't talking about an abortion. She, she looked at me and so helped me. She said this, could, could you maybe just pray this baby back in? I don't want this baby. And I said, why don't you want this baby? She said, because it hurts. <laughs> and I said, sweetie, let me tell you what I think. I said, I should have brought Ramona with me. But let me tell you what I think. I said, I can tell you how it was. I, we, we had two, two boys at the time. I said, I can tell you how it was in our house. Um, there's the apprehension. There's the anxiety. There's the pain. But I said, I can tell you, I can promise you this. When this baby is born, you're going to be the happiest woman on planet Earth. And I patted her hand. She said, I said, do you believe me? And she said, no. <laughs> I said, well, well, sweetie, let's look at it this way. If I pray this baby back in, you're going to be like this the rest of your life. I guess so. I said, why don't we just pray and ask God to help you have this baby? And she said, all right. And so I prayed and she's on my way out. She said, will you send my husband in? I said, I will. You know what, it's, it's what she had to learn is I've got to endure some suffering for the joy that's on the other side. And I, I asked her permission if I could share this. I, I would never embarrass her for anything. But she, and, and then I think she's had like five more kids since then. So apparently she listened. But loved ones, sometimes we just need to pray to endure suffering. That's the testimony of Paul. It's the testimony of Peter. The Bible says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Number three, sometimes it's appropriate to pray in order to embrace suffering. Now, here's where we've got to get off the, the wagon right now. And it's almost time to end service. It, sometimes it's appropriate to just pray to embrace suffering. As difficult and strange as it may sound, Paul allowed his suffering to serve him, enabling him to better serve Christ. There's a very thin line between giving in to suffering and embracing it. Some lose their identity and some lose their victory to suffering. God never wants that to happen. But God is able to give us a supernatural ability to understand that when I am weak, that's when I'm really strong. And that's why Paul was able to say, I will glory in my infirmities. Paul wasn't saying, hey, if you hurt, that makes you righteous. 
Uh, no, he was saying, if something serves a purpose in my life, even if it's painful, I will embrace it. Now you say, Pastor, okay, okay, okay. But how do you do that? Well, I knew you were going to ask that. That's why I put this last part. And, and loved ones, I want to tell you, this is one of the most difficult things that you've ever been asked to do. I know that. I'm not glibly giving you these points. But I can say I've lived through them. And I can say Paul's testimony was right. Number one, you receive it as a gift from God. It's amazing the language he used. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. I would have said there was thrust upon me. I would have said my enemy sneaked in the back door and put it on me. But there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Job 121 is perhaps the most misunderstood verse in that Bible, uh, in that part of the Bible. Job, in all of his suffering, says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This was not a misappropriation by Job. He's so criticized by so many spiritual teachers. It wasn't fatalism. It wasn't misapplication or misappropriation. Job had an understanding that nothing touched his life without the permission of God. When he said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, that wasn't a well, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. That was Job saying, nothing touches me without brushing by the Father. Now, I can't answer your whatabouts, but I know that God will make all things right. I can't answer what about this suffering, what about this crime, what about this violation, what about this that happened to me. I can't give you a satisfactory answer for that. But your victory doesn't depend on my ability to explain your pain. Your victory relies on your ability to understand that God is vitally involved in your life. Number two, I receive it as a gift from God. But number two, I have to rely on the grace of God. You'll never be strong enough to weather your difficulty without becoming bitter or angry or hostile. There are times that our pain is so great that, and, and we, end up, we end our pain with saying, I'm a survivor. I know what you're trying to say, but, and I've, I've never heard anybody here say that. I'm just talking about, I know that happens. But I, I, I want you to understand You've not only got to be strong to get through it, but you've got to rely on the grace of God for strength. See, he said unto me, this was God's answer. God said, my grace is enough. My grace is enough. That says, you don't need to change churches. You don't need to deny the faith. You don't need to join some organization. You don't need to take it out on your wife or your husband or your children or your parents. Whatever you need, my grace is enough. See, remember, God's grace is his goodwill toward us, but then it's his good work within us. Just look at some suggestions here from Scripture. There is grace associated with suffering, the passage we just read. There's singing grace. <coughs> Paul said, sing with grace in your hearts. There's speaking grace. Let all of your words be seasoned with grace. They're sacrificing grace. He said of the church at Laodicea, through the grace of God, they gave out of deep poverty. That you can only give out of poverty through the grace of God. They're strengthening grace. The loss of a child, the ending of a marriage, a terminal illness. None of these things are survivable unless God's grace gives you strength. And here's the last thing. We reflect on the glory of God or reflect the glory of God. Okay, I receive it as a gift. Now, now I'm, I'm talking about this is when we've come to the end of the rope. We're, we're praying and nothing has happened. And, and God is beginning to make it evident to us that we're going to have to struggle with this for a while. We receive it as a gift. God is giving us something through this weakness that cannot be attained any other way. We rely on the grace of God. We know that we can't make it unless he strengthens us. And we make up our minds that we will reflect the glory of God. He said, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Three Christian life lessons that I will conclude in 45 seconds. Number one, 
expect, when you have problems, expect divine intervention. This message is not about a fatalism. This message is not about giving up. Expect divine intervention. If you're sick, expect healing. Pray for it. Number two, but while you're praying, enjoy the pursuit of his presence and power. See, you've got to quit blaming God when he doesn't answer you in the allotted time. And you've got to understand, my pastor helped us so much when we were praying to receive the gift of tongues. We were panicked. We were thinking, why, isn't it, you know, why didn't it happen right away in some of us? You know, some it did, some it didn't. He said, loved ones, just enjoy your pursuit of the Lord. He said, don't focus on tongues, focus on Jesus and enjoy your pursuit of the Lord. And number three, embrace when necessary for the glory of God. Live your life in such a way that when you suffer, you can say it's for the glory of God. And like Paul, you make that final distinction to live as Christ, to die as gain. Well, I preached probably everything that I need to preach on this. Now the question is, what will I do with my suffering? I, I know this was a lot. This was a crash course. But it's online for you to listen to again. You've got the notes. I encourage you to just this next week, just bring this before the Lord and say, Lord, you know where I am. Help me to understand where I am and what I ought to do. Most importantly, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or you're watching online, there'll be a phone number that comes up on your screen if you're watching online. You can call. People are waiting right now to receive your call and pray with you. Altar teams are ready here in Brown Chapel and here in the sanctuary to pray with you if you have a need. Some of you might be here and you say, Pastor, I just don't know what to think. I just know I need help. That's okay, too. That's okay, too. I'm not good enough a teacher to answer every question in one sermon. But the Spirit of God is able to say what I said backwards and make it come out forward. And you just follow His leading. Would you stand with me, please? Father, I pray for our loved ones. I pray for those who are hurting and especially for those who are hurting and the pain just doesn't go away. The key is you. And you've never failed us. You've never forsaken us. So help us to lean into you. Help us to press forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, the broadcast is going to be ending in just a moment. But if you're here, come forward for prayer. You see the ministry teams going out this door. If you'll come forward, the ushers will point you in that direction where you can receive prayer. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Thank you online for listening. I love you. And we'll be talking next week about what to make of 2020. God bless you.